praise God for this morning. Praise God for an opportunity to share with you. It's probably going to be very simple, maybe even short this morning, what I want to share with you. I don't know, but I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in the word and to particularly be you know, standing strong, standing strong in the, in the faith. But life, life at the end of the day is about Jesus. Um, life at the end of the day, when we strip it all back, uh, your relationship with Jesus, your worship of Jesus, you're walking in his shoes, you're walking in his will and he, him perfecting his life in you. So be encouraged, brothers and sisters, and uh, let's pray together before I share from God's word. And then I'd like to share with you a few things from, from the New Testament. So let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this morning. Our loving Father, I thank you, Lord, for another time together. I thank you, Lord God, that we have this opportunity to come before your word. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Uh, I pray, Lord God, this morning that you encourage us, that you strengthen us, that you help us to keep running the race. Help us to never give up and help us to know, Lord God, you always provide a way out because you're a faithful God. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to be steadfast and learn and, and our hearts are ready to receive what uh, you want to give us. So Father, I pray, bless this morning and all that we do and all that we say in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, let's open up our Bibles to a passage in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, about halfway into the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And um, last few weeks we've been looking at the blind man and hopefully you've been encouraged by the blind man and how he came to have sight and how he came to um, see Jesus and how Jesus rescued him and how Jesus came and comforted him and how Jesus came despite his trials. He had one trial after the other, straight after he was able to see. He had one trial after the other, but Jesus came to his rescue because Jesus cares for him just like Jesus cares for you. And sometimes you can be in your situation, um, you can be in your circumstance, you might think life's unfair, maybe your brother or your sister hasn't treated you very fairly, maybe you think your mum and dad's not treating you very fairly, uh, you can think life's unfair, you can go, oh, you know, why do I have to go through this? But at the end of the day, you've got to remember that Jesus cares, Jesus cares. And what you need to do above all things is to trust Jesus and to love Jesus and to put Jesus first in everything. Because guess what? Sometimes, in fact, many times, life is going to seem unfair. Life is going to seem unfair. It's going to feel like nothing's going your way. It's going to feel like, you know, why does my brother always get the, the best things or whatever it might be. And life's going to feel unfair sometimes. But you've got to remember that Jesus always loves you. Jesus always cares for you. And it's not about those circumstances, but you've got to keep your eyes and your heart remembering how much God loves his children, how much he loves his children. So we've been speaking about the, the, the blind man. And um, this, this passage here, I, I've been thinking about this passage a little bit because I want to share with you how I read this passage. You, you may disagree with me. You may, you may have a different way of reading this passage. But I want to share with you how, if I came to this passage in the Bible, I want to share with you very simply how I would read this passage and how God how I feel God is speaking to me. And I want to share that with you this morning and hopefully that encourage you, encourages you as well. This is not a comfortable passage. This is, not, um, this is not an easy passage to read. In fact, there's going to be people I suspect this morning when you're listening to me share with you, you're going to probably feel uncomfortable. Maybe you're going to even want to log off. You know, you're going to say, oh, enough. I can't handle this. I'm going to log off. But can I encourage you to keep going to the end? Because it may be uncomfortable 
but it's necessary. It, it may be awkward, but it's helpful. And I find it's helpful for me and I pray that it's helpful for you. So it's, imagine us on a freeway where you've jumped in the car with me, you're on the freeway and you've got your seatbelt on and we're driving at 100 kilometers an hour. And I'm telling you, you know, you're going to sometimes, maybe you're going to feel sometimes this is a little bit too fast for you or rather you don't really like what you're hearing and you want to get out. But I'm telling you, if you get out, you're going to be more in more danger getting off yeah, out of the car onto the freeway as we're traveling at 100 kilometers an hour. That's going to be more dangerous for you if you block your ears and you don't want to hear. I don't like sharing passages like this, believe it or not. I, I, don't, I don't get anything out of it in the sense that I don't think, oh, yeah, awesome. What a great passage to share this morning. You know, it's going to be really, really kind of hit the mark. I don't really get, a, I don't get that kind of level of excitement sharing this sort of passage, but I know what truth does. Truth breaks people. Truth cuts people. Truth grows people. Truth gives people wings to fly. I know that's what truth does. So sometimes we've got to hear truth because truth is what is the thing that's going to help us. And I know people who come to this fellowship love the fellowship because what they hear is truth. And so sometimes truth isn't always about, you know, uh, uh, doesn't always feel like it's building at the time. Sometimes it feels like it's cutting at the time. So you know what? Buckle in. Don't get out of the car, stay with me to the end. It may not even be very long. Stay with me to the end and allow God, open your heart to allow God to speak to you in a way he wants to speak. So Paul, Paul has just finished writing to the Corinthians and we know that the Corinthian church had a few issues. Uh, he had, they had a few issues and Paul was addressing these issues. Now he's just finished writing to them and he's saying this to them. He says, I'm running in a race. I'm running a race in life. But it's not a race like this world that has no end because this world runs a race and they're hoping to achieve more and more and more and at the end it comes to nothing. That's what life is without Jesus. You can build all that you have and it will come to nothing. What's a prophet of man, the Bible says, if you gain the whole world but lose your soul because it's going to come to nothing. Think about it. You might be closer. You might be getting closer to the end of your life. Think about it. You can have everything. But if you haven't got Jesus, it's going to come to nothing and you're going to lose your soul. And so Paul is saying, I'm running a race. And the race requires me to be um, um, self-controlled. A race requires you to be persevering. A race requires you to endure. Imagine a man running a marathon. A man running a marathon has the end in sight. Sometimes that marathon feels really hard. Sometimes that marathon feels easy. But the marathon needs to be run. And if, imagine, if it's someone standing on the side of that marathon and says, hey, 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 stop for a moment, have some junk food. The man in the marathon is going to say, what are you talking about? I'm going to stop and have some junk food. I'm in a marathon. And so sometimes it, there's going to be distractions around you, but you need to be able to keep your eyes fixed on the race. And Paul says, I'm running a race. It requires me to be self-controlled. But he goes, I'm going to run to win. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, that despite our circumstances, I want you to run the race, that you have an attitude in the heart that you will win, that you will win that race even though sometimes it feels very hard. You know, like a marathon, sometimes it's actually flat and easy. The sun's out, the conditions are good, and you're running and you're fine. But then the conditions turn, it starts to rain or hail, the clouds come over, you've got steeps, you've got hills, and it gets really tough, but you don't stop. And that's only a season for you. And that season's going to end, and the sun will come out again, and the path will be flat again. But you keep running, you keep running, and knowing that you're going to win because God is on your side. And so the Bible tells us something here and it teaches us something about the times when it is cloudy and when it is rainy. 
It's called a wilderness. It's called a wilderness. And this wilderness sometimes is very, very difficult for the Christian. This wilderness is sometimes some things that we don't generally want to go through. This wilderness sometimes is not a place that we love to be part of. However, the wilderness is a great time for God to be testing and training his children. And sometimes it's difficult to see that while you're in that wilderness. However, what the Bible tells us, it makes a connection. It makes some sort of connection between a wilderness and certain temptations. Now, I'm not saying that these temptations are exclusive to a wilderness. I'm not saying these are the only temptations that you will face in a wilderness. But what I'm saying, and I think, is this, that when you're in a wilderness, when you're in a wilderness, it is very likely, very probable, that you're going to face one or all of these four temptations. So this morning, I want us to face the wilderness temptations. I want us to face the wilderness temptations. And I want us to see what God is saying to us. Now, I'm not talking about going off and playing with your sin. I'm not talking about that as a wilderness. I'm talking about those times when pressure is high, things are intense, and it's tough. Life is tough. It's not where you want to be. And God is still there. And the Bible talks to us about this wilderness. And I want you to understand it. The, the Apostle Paul wants to tell his people about Israel when they were in the wilderness. Now, let me give you a very quick Bible study, very quick, couple of minutes of what this wilderness represents. Okay, when I read it, what does it re represent? Firstly, this was their deliverance after Egypt. Yeah? We've been looking at Egypt in, uh, on Thursday nights, and I encourage you, go to Thursday nights, hit, follow the story of the Exodus, follow the story of the Israelites. It's being studied at this stage on Thursday night. But the wilderness is when they got out. It was after they got out of Egypt. It's the time and the point, if you like, where you give your life to Jesus Christ. You get out of your slavery. That's the wilderness. The wilderness um, should have taken them only a few days, but in fact, it took them 40 years. Work that out. What should have taken them days, if you look at the map, took them 40 years. The wilderness was a testing place, not a resting place. Do you understand? It was a testing place, not a resting place. God was testing to prove them, to strengthen them, to, to see what was in their hearts. The wilderness is similar to the wilderness Jesus experienced. He, he began his ministry. He was almost going to begin his ministry, and he went into the wilderness himself 40 days, not 40 years, 40 days. And he was tempted and tested by the devil himself. So there's similarities there as well. The wilderness is an interesting story because the Bible tells us that God was always with them for the 40 years. By day, he had a pillar of cloud and by night, he had a pillar of fire. Why did he do this? So I believe so they could see God was always with them and they would be guided by God. God would guide them through this pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. God always reminding them, if they look up, God always reminding them, I am here. Keep following me. The wilderness, the Bible tells us, says that God was always providing. Did you know? Did you know they had the best brand of shoes? They had the best brand of clothing? Not really the best brand, but the Bible says, God says to his people, your clothes never wore out and your shoes never wore out. 40 years. Well, that's a cost saver, isn't it? But God provided for them. God provided, and not only that, but food from heaven. 
constantly provided their shoes, their clothing, their food, because God is the provider. Uh, He will supply all our needs. The wilderness, interestingly enough, however, despite all that, only two adults survived. Only two men over the age of 20 survived the whole 40 years. The rest were under 20. I mean, thousands got into the promised land, but only two from the start of the journey over 20 survived the 40 years. The rest perished in the wilderness. And that's what we need to look at this morning. Why is it that so many perished? Why is it that so many didn't make it to the promised land? Why is it that so many didn't make it to the place of rest, but in the process found themselves perished, found themselves falling away, found themselves in destruction? Why is that? It's a warning for us. They are examples for us to take heed, put your seatbelt on, buckle up, take heed and listen to what the Bible is saying to us. What is it that we need to be careful of while we run this race? We'll win. We'll win with Jesus. However, however, there are things to be careful of that will take you away. There are things that be careful of that you need to watch out for your soul. In fact, the Bible says be careful because it could also destroy you. Let's have a look at what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 5. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food um, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. This is really a strong warning. Listen, don't find rest in what you call yourself. Number one rule as a Christian, don't find any comfort in what you think you call yourself. The Bible says that many Many did the same things. Many passed through the sea. Many drank the same drink. Many ate the same food. Many followed Moses. Many did all things. But with many, God was not well pleased. Many were destroyed. Many lost it and didn't get to the end. Why is it that God even wants to tell us this? Because he understands the condition of man's heart and he wants to warn us that you don't become one of them, that I don't become one of them. He wants to warn us because Jesus tells us that uh, broad is the way and easy is the way, if you like, that leads to destruction and many go there, don't they? But the way to life, he says, is narrow and difficult and few find it. And I pray that those listening this morning are among the few that find it that you are one who strives to enter that gate, that you are one that holds on to the very end with your faith because these are the things that the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us. He warns us because it's a warning for you and it's a warning for me. Verse 6. Now these things became our example um, to the intent that we should not last after evil things as they also lusted. Why is this given to us? This is given to us so they become our examples. These are given to us so that we can learn from people who made mistakes, 
We don't want to look back and think, oh, let's make the same mistakes. Or we don't want to look back and think, oh, if they did it, then you know, maybe we're going to do it as well. No, we look back at these people because God has given them to us as our example so that we can say, hey, they did something that we have to completely avoid. They did something that we can learn from, and especially now in Christ, that we can overcome and not succumb to the things that they also did. We can't give in like they did, but we need to get out because of the blood and the power of Jesus Christ and not follow in their footsteps, but rather learn from them. We know it's simple. Things in the history always teach us about how we should do future. These are the same with these people. People are teaching us what to avoid and what to do better. But particularly we have now our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the power of God given to his people so that we can overcome and not fall into the same examples of them. Look, go down quickly just to verse 11 and see what the Bible says. Now, all these things happen to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. They're our examples and therefore our admonition. Brothers and sisters, you need to listen. I need to listen. We need to listen to what this admonition is, what this warning and teaching is. What is it that God is actually trying to tell us? What is it about a wilderness that sometimes just gets really hard, that particular temptations become particularly um, fascinating to us or, or draw us? What are they? Let's face if you like, the four wilderness temptations. The Bible tells us that they went through a time of, if you like, um, testing. I'll let me read something out to you. Don't turn to it. But in Deuteronomy, it says this. This is God speaking to his people. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Did you hear that? God says to his people, you know what I was doing? This time of wilderness, Deuteronomy 8.2, this time of wilderness, this time of testing, I wanted to see what was in your heart. I wanted to see if you, I wanted to humble you and test you. I wanted to see if you would keep my commandments or not. I wanted to see what you would do. Would you trust me as I, as I led you? Would you trust me? Would you keep my word? Would you keep believing in where I'm taking you? That this time of testing was going to bring a time of resting for you. You're going to keep believing that or you're going to find yourself distracted like the marathon runner with things around you or the conditions around you saying to yourself, you know what, I don't know if I can keep going. That's how it feels. And there are things that come our way that want to distract us and want to take us away. This time of testing for the believer can be really, really intense. You can find it becomes um, even quite painful. It can be painful because of your circumstances. It can be painful because of what's happening within you. It can be painful because of what's happening around you. It could be painful because of a loved one and watching a loved one go through something else. It could be painful because of finances. It could be painful because of lockdown. It could be painful because of this COVID. It could be painful because of relationships. Whatever it is, it can be painful for you, but it's a time and a season that you wish wasn't there. And it's hard. And if you could choose, you'd say, I want to get out of here. In fact, I probably want to even go back to the way I used to be. This, this is all getting too hard for me. It's a time of testing, however. God is still present, however. God is still providing, however. And God is still protecting. 
This is where it gets hard to believe. That's why people don't generally question their faith when things are going well. You don't see someone when things are going really well, they're reading the Bible, uh, they're, 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 growthy, they're growing. You don't have generally people coming up to me and saying, I don't know if there's even a God. Because why would you do that when there's things are going well? But in, in the very nature of a trial, the very nature of a wilderness, the very nature of a test means that you, your flesh, who you are, is going to test, be tested to even your own faith. But hang in there because God hasn't left. God is still providing. Your sandals are still fine. Your clothes are still fine. God is still giving food. God is still very present doing what he needs to do to get you to a place of rest. We must believe this as we run the race. God does not forsake his children. And in this time of wilderness, sometimes it gets really hard and our, our emotions can get the better of us. Did you know that? Have you ever had that experience where the wilderness seems very, very difficult, but even your own emotions seem like they're going to swallow you up? The way you're feeling about things, the anxieties about things, the pain about things, the sorrow about things, it feels like you're going to swallow, it's going to swallow you up. But even then, I'm going to encourage you to say, even in those situations, God is still there. Listen, when we talk about a death to self, we're not talking about a death to our emotions but we're talking about a death to the influence that our emotions can have over us, to do things we know we shouldn't be doing. God understands, God sees, and God builds even when life is tough. And we are, if any other time, there are many different circumstances you're going through. I know that. There are many different personal circumstances that you're going through. But generally as a community, we're going through a tough time as well. So let's keep our eyes on the one that can take us to the end of the race. That's Jesus Christ. Let's run with confidence. Let's run with self-control. Let's run knowing that the Lord, despite the enemy's temptations, that the Lord is able to overcome them through us. So he talks about four. Why are they particularly important? Again, like I said, it doesn't mean these are the only temptations you're going to go through in the wilderness. But I'm telling you, there's got to be a connection here. It's not just coincidence that the apostle has mentioned these and mentioned a wilderness. They're not exclusive to a wilderness, but I tell you that you're very likely to face one, if not all of them, at some point in your life as you go through a wilderness journey. And the first one he talks about in verse 7 is idolatry. He says in verse 7, And do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and then rose up to play. This is linked to the story when Moses uh, went up into the mountain and um, he was absent for a while and the people down on the mountain were thinking, where is this guy? Where is he? He hasn't come down yet. What are we going to do? We're kind of stranded. You know, we need something. And then they thought in their wisdom, what are we going to do? Let's make ourselves a god. Let's make ourselves a golden calf. Let's make ourselves something that perhaps is the influence of their past, reflective of who they were in the past and what they saw in the past. Let's do something because we need something more than God. You don't need something more than God. But I tell you the truth, when you're in a wilderness and the pressure is high and things are intense, the temptation in your heart is this. What I'm doing at the moment, what I'm trying to do in my faith at the moment is not cutting it. I need something more than God to give me what I need to give me direction, to give me purpose, to give me meaning, to give me some kind of um, um, life experience. 
I need something more than God. And these people thought they needed something more than Moses and more than what God was doing through Moses. They made themselves a God. They committed idolatry. Brothers and sisters, things do get tough. And sometimes things get painful. And sometimes things get intense. And sometimes you can't see what the next step is or there's what feels like an absence and a quietness from God. But what you still need in that is God himself. That's where faith comes into it. When you can look up and say, God, I, I don't know what's happening, but I know I still need you. I, I can't see what's happening, but I know I still need you. And so the Bible talks about this. It talks about the need to be steadfast in worshipping our creator more than the creation. And if you begin to look to things, other things, whether it's someone or something or a product or a gadget or a job or an education or, or a future or a destination, if you're looking at these things and you think, you know what, what I'm experiencing at the moment doesn't seem to be cutting it, I need something more than God, then you commit idolatry. And in the wilderness, boy, in the wilderness, you can feel like that tenfold, a hundredfold. But I'm telling you, in that wilderness, keep running. Keep holding on. Keep trusting. God hasn't left. The pillar of cloud is still there. They would have seen the pillar of cloud. The pillar of fire was still there at nighttime, would have been still blazing at nighttime. They would have seen the pillar of fire. However, however, in their heart of hearts, for some reason, this wilderness tested them, tested them, and they felt in their heart they needed something more than God. Let's stand up and begin to be people, even in the wilderness, who choose to worship the Creator more than the creation. Brothers and sisters, flee from idolatry. And then he talks about another one. And remember, God does this because he's a jealous God, yeah? God does this because he's a jealous God. He loves his people. He so loves them so much that he's jealous over them. Sometimes we think of the word jealous and we think about it in the negative sense. But I'll tell you the truth. Pure jealousy, pure jealousy comes from the heart of God. And he's so jealous for his people that he won't let anything touch them without his permission. And so it breaks his heart when you need something more than him. He says, because I'm a jealous God. I love you this much. Flee from idolatry, even in the wilderness. Be careful when you go through a wilderness and the pressure is intense. Be careful not to say in your heart, I need something more than God. Then he talks about another temptation in the wilderness, the second one, and that's called sexual immorality. And he talks about this in verse um, 8. He says, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Do you understand that? This is something very serious by God. This is something that God doesn't wink at. In fact, God, he looks at this and he's hurt and pained by what people are doing, that they're going around fornicating, doing things that they shouldn't be doing because this is destroying them. And 23,000 people died in one day. This is in reference to um, Numbers 25 when the people of Israel saw the Moabite women and they thought to themselves, oh, yeah, and they did what they should not be doing. And he says, you know what? 23,000 in one day fell. If idolatry is I need more than God, then this sexual immorality is I want more than God. Because something in my life at the moment 
because it's so intense with this wilderness, I just don't feel satisfied. And God is saying, be careful. Be careful. Be aware. Be watchful. Because the enemy is going to come and he's going to suggest to you that you're going to want something more than what you have in God. You know, this isn't, this isn't difficult. Our Sunday school kids can teach us this. Did you know that? Our Sunday school can teach us this verse well. When they learn the Ten Commandments, they learn very simply, uh, the last commandment is what? Don't covet your neighbour, don't, don't cover your neighbour's wife, and don't covet his goods. Very, very simple. So you're in Sunday school. If you've been learning Sunday school for some years now, you've probably heard the Tenth Commandment. It's very, very simple. Don't covet. Don't envy. Don't go wanting what is not yours and don't go touching what is not yours and don't go taking what is not yours. Because she's not yours. He's not yours. And so our kids can teach us this. Keep yourself pure. And when the temptation comes in the wilderness, when it all just seems too hard and it all just seems too dissatisfying, all of a sudden the temptation comes and the devil whispers, hey, you want something more than what God can give you. Hey, I've got an idea for you. And the Bible says, stop. Keep yourself pure. Because the Bible tells us this, how can a man take coal to his bosom and not be burned? If you play with fire, you're going to get burned. And so the Bible's warning us, don't do this. The Bible is warning us to get something that can get really strong in the temptation, uh, in the wilderness, the temptation that can get really, really strong but remain steadfast. And listen, don't go wanting things that aren't yours. Don't go touching things that are not yours. But rather, let's flip it around. Start enjoying those things that are yours. You understand? Start enjoying those things that are yours, whether you're married or not married. Start enjoying those things that are yours, enjoying the presence of the Lord, enjoying the presence of your partner, enjoying the presence of people around you. Start enjoying those things that are yours and allow the temptation to fade. Allow the temptation to be washed away and remain steadfast and look back and say, Lord, I kept myself pure before you. You see, temptations in the wilderness can get really strong because you feel a sense of dissatisfaction. It's like a thirsty man that says, yes, I'm so thirsty. I'm so dissatisfied. I'm so thirsty. And so he goes and drinks soft drink to try and satisfy his thirst. Sure, temporarily it's fine, but it never really quenches his thirst. In fact, it might even make him unwell. But a man who comes to the living water and starts to enjoy the presence of the Lord. Oh, yeah, it's hard. Oh, it's hard because everything in you is screaming out to do something differently. But you find your pleasure in the living water and the living water satisfies you in the wilderness. And so these men, these Israelites, found that they wanted something more than God. And God says, be careful. When you're in that situation, when you're in that moment, when you're in that circumstance, when the pressure is intense, trust me and enjoy the presence of the Lord. Learn to enjoy his presence. Then he gives us a third one. Verse 9. And let's not tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. You know the story. There they were um, uh, complaining um, and um, 
all of a sudden they got bitten by snakes, they got bitten by serpents and they were dying. And what, what, what Moses had to do under the instruction of God was to make a fiery serpent and hold it up and anyone who looked to that was healed. But the essence is this, don't tempt, don't tempt Christ as some of them also tempted but, sorry, and were destroyed by the serpents. When you read about Israel in the wilderness, there were some temptations that caused them to, if you like, tempt God. Um, I, I won't go into the whole thing about Christ and, and even how they drank from Christ because that's that'll just take too long. But here they were, here they were, they were tempting the God they were following. In fact, they were saying things like this. Listen to this. Our souls are discouraged that you brought us up out here to die, Moses. <laughs> it's like, hang on, weren't you in slavery? Yeah, but our souls are discouraged. But hang on, weren't you slaves? Weren't you being worked hard? Yeah, but our souls are discouraged because you brought us here to die. Okay. They even said things like this. You gave us this worthless bread, they're referring to the manna, as if to say, what's this compared to what we used to have? This worthless bread. I used to have a better life before. I used to have a better appetite before. I've lost my appetite now. They even said things like this. Why did you bring us out here to die? It's really interesting. Because what? Tempting Christ or tempting God is actually, I find, a bit hard to explain. Um, and, and I'm happy for you to share with me what your thoughts are. I'm not going to say I've got the final word on this. But when I think about tempting God, I, I, I think of in the story I read in the Bible and the story that I read about Jesus. Remember Jesus was in the wilderness and the devil took him up into the pinnacle of the temple and the devil said to him, hey, jump off. If you're the son of God, you know, God the Father, he's going to look after you. He's going to give his angels charge over you. Just jump off and prove that God cares for you. Oh, hang on. Why do I need to do that for? Why do I need to prove that somehow God cares for me? Why do I need to say to God and force his arm and say, God, if you care for me, this is what you should be doing? Well, we don't. But see, in the wilderness, when the pressure is intense and the emotions are high and circumstances aren't going the way you want them to go and there's a seasons of cloud and rain and hail, yes, in those times, the temptation is to say, God, you need to prove that you care for me. So the devil says to Jesus, hey, if you are the son of God, if the father really cares for you, because maybe by this stage Jesus was completely hungry and exhausted because he'd been 40 days fasting in the wilderness and circumstances were really getting to a peak for him. He says, you know, just jump down and see how God the father cares for you. You know, you don't know what was going through Jesus' mind at that time. He could have been tempted with thoughts like, wow, you know, Father, if, if I'm really your son, this is, this is going for a long time. And maybe the temptation in his heart was, yeah, let me just feel the care of my father again because this is really hard. So jump off, he says. But no. What did Jesus say to the devil? You shouldn't. And he quotes Deuteronomy. He says, you will not tempt the Lord your God. You know why, brothers and sisters, and this is one of the most powerful things that you can do as a Christian. Let me explain to you something. It's really hard. You ready? It's, it is really hard. I, I find it incredibly hard from time to time in my life, and I find it incredibly hard through times of wilderness, particularly when the wilderness is really intense, 
Yeah, I'm not talking about, again, I'm not talking about going off playing with sin. I'm talking about when the wilderness is intense, when the pressure is high. There's something fundamentally critical that you need to learn to do, something intrinsically you need to hold on to, and it's this within you that says this, that God is good all the time. Oh, man, I'm telling you, it will blow away every temptation. It will blow away every need, every need to say to God, hey, prove that you care for me. Because when you fundamentally believe, you can create a foundation for yourself that says God is good all the time. But you don't need to tempt the Lord your God because he's good all the time. And it's so easy to say, but so powerfully effective when you're in a wilderness. So powerfully um, liberating when you're in a wilderness that God is good all the time. Not just in your head, not just in song, but in the depth of your heart where nothing seems to move you. There is a stability like Mount Zion where you can say God is good all the time. And boy, when you're in the wilderness, and some of you might be going through a wilderness now, I tell you the truth, sometimes it's really hard. You want to say to yourself, I need something more than God. You want to say to yourself, I want something more than God. And you want to question, hey, is God really good all the time? But be aware, be aware, because if you succumb to these things, then you may find yourself in a similar place to these that were destroyed in the wilderness. And then there's a fourth wilderness temptation, and it's this. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. This is scattered through their wilderness journey, sadly. Uh, they, they were people who found reason to complain, complain about the food, complain about the circumstances, complain about the drink. Uh, they even complained about Moses. And they said things like this to him. Uh, you exalt yourself, you prince. You want to be a prince over us? You brought us out here to die? Aren't these men also holy men? Why do you exalt yourself above us? Or, or they said things like, they said things like, hey, let's pick a leader. In other words, let's ditch this Moses. Let's pick a leader and, and let's go back to Egypt. Always finding reasons to complain about who was leading them and their circumstances. Until the earth was split open and many, many died on that day. Because God wants to kill? No. But here they were, despite all that God had been doing for them, leading them, showing them his presence, feeding them, helping them, guiding them, and still they found reason to complain. I don't know what you are. Are you a complainer? Let's talk, let's talk generally now. Are you, are you generally a complainer? Do you find always something to complain about, about anything, anything in life? Uh, if someone talks to you, do you tend to build or you tend to complain? Who, who are you generally? Do you need to learn to unlearn this? Do you need to be someone who, rather than complaining, be someone who learns to be grateful, someone who learns to be thankful? But are you particularly a complainer about what you see your Christian life to be, which is more risky? That somehow, why? Is this always happening to me? Why? I never thought there was going to be like this. Why should I have to trust God and then find these things? And there's always a reason to be complaining. Now, listen carefully. 
I'm not talking about the person who shares the depth of their heart to someone else, another trusted friend, because they need to get it off their chest so they can share and pray with that person and find freedom. Praise God for that. But I'm talking about the people who always find a reason to complain. They're not interested in solution. They're just interested in complaining. Do you understand? They're not interested in freedom. They're just interested in complaining and grumbling. They don't really want to overcome. They just want to drag people into their issues. And God says, listen, don't complain. Um, despite the difficulty of the wilderness, despite the intensity, the pressures, the pain of what you're going through, whether they're internal pains or external pains, whatever it is, be a person who learns to be thankful and who, is, who learns to have gratitude for what the Lord has done for them. You want to talk about complaining? You want to talk about why God's doing what he's doing? Take a look at the cross and see in all that, all the pain of man taken on the cross. So then he leaves us with a couple of final thoughts that I want to leave you with this morning. You need to know your own vulnerability and then you need to know uh, the power of God. And uh, verse 12, he talks about your own vulnerability. He says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You know, just be aware. None of us are immune to this. You don't say, oh, you know, that preacher, oh, he, he'll never go through these experiences. No, everybody, myself, you, everybody needs to be careful. If he stands, take heed lest he fall. Narrow is the gates. Narrow is the gates. And so our confidence is not in trying to understand our circumstances or understanding the wilderness. When is it going to end? Is it ever going to finish? We don't know when it's going to end. We don't know when it's going to finish. We don't know. That's the Father's discretion. But our confidence is not knowing and understanding our circumstances. Our confidence is in the word of faith. It's in trusting the word of God and his promises stand true and our confidence in them to always be true because God is good all the time. You see, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then he says in verse 13, because no temptation has overcome you or overtaken you such except such as is common to man, but God is faithful. You see the answers to this? But God is faithful. Because you know your temptation? Even in the wilderness, even these four, these temptations, everyone experiences them. They are all common to man. They are, Jesus experienced them, your friends have, your Christian friends have experienced them, you have experienced them. But listen, despite the experiences, God is faithful. And this is where your faith it becomes a, a strong foundation, a strong foundation that, that resists being dragged in the temptations of the wilderness. But God is faithful. And who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. However, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Know your own vulnerabilities, but know that in confidence that God will always make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Look, interestingly, the Bible doesn't say that you may be able to get out of it, but the Bible says that you may be able to bear it. Which means to me this, sometimes these temptations hang around. They hang around for longer than you want them to hang around. But God is faithful because even while they're hanging around, the strength 
and the courage and, and the help that he provides allows you to bear it. But trust uh, the word, beloved, and hear what I'm saying to you, that you will overcome. If you endure by faith, you will overcome and you will find a place of rest. Not in heaven I'm talking about, but on this earth. You will find a place of rest. Your testing, if you like, will bring resting. Because this is where God is leading us. God is leading us and through all this wilderness and all these trials and the intensities of life, God is building in the race that you may win. That you may win. Because this is what God is doing. But beware. Beware. Because remember the Bible says, many had these experiences and many God was not well pleased with. And I want to encourage you this morning, brothers and sisters, that whatever stage of life you're at, Whatever stage of your walk you're at, whether you are in a wilderness or not in a wilderness, I want to encourage you this morning to know that there are going to be temptations that you will face. When you face this wilderness, there will be temptations. There will be temptations that feel so strong. But in these times, to know and trust that God is good, that God is faithful, that he always make a way for you to bear it. Learn a heart of gratitude. Fight against and resist the temptations of idolatry, the temptations of sexual immorality, these temptations of tempting God or complaining and allow the goodness and the, and, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to, to, to um, be your strength, to be your strength in these times. So brothers and sisters, I encourage you to keep looking to him. There is pressure all around us, but our God is higher than us. Our God is good. And I want to pray for us this morning as we, um, as we reflect on the word and trust in what the Lord is doing in our lives. So pray with me, pray with you this morning. Our loving Father, I thank you, Lord God, for your, for your word, your word that um, speaks to our hearts, that teaches us how to resist temptation. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters who are experiencing at the moment um, circumstances that feel just like a wilderness, circumstances of testing, uh, circumstances of heartache, circumstances of pain. And I pray, Lord God, when the enemy comes with these particular temptations and even others, they were able to stand, knowing that they're not alone, Lord, and most importantly, knowing that you are there. Build this faith in them, Lord. Build this faith, Lord God, to know that you are always good. That you never leave nor forsake. And help them, strengthen them to resist the enemy's voices. So, Father, I pray as a church that you continue to help us to work through all things. Uh, to continue to look to the one who is the rescuer of our soul and to know that you, Lord God, want us to find rest in our soul. Father, bless them and strengthen them this week as they continue to do the work that you have set out for them and continue to run the race. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.